Welcome to another episode of Profiles in Leadership, sponsored by VGM. I'm Steve Anderson, your host, and we have a great guest today, Patrick Graham. Patrick attended Covenant College undergraduate and then attended the Medical College of Georgia, in which he graduated with a BS in physical therapy in 1989. He attended Cole School of Business at Kennesaw State University for his MBA in 1996. He is married to Susan McCluskey Graham, and they have two daughters, Mary Frances, who is currently in her second year at DPT, uh, in DPT school, and um, his other daughter, Katie Clare. He is the president and COO of the Human Performance and Rehabilitation Centers, Inc., commonly called HPRC, which is a 64-year-old family business that was started by George McCluskey, Jr. HPRC currently has 11 locations in three states and about 150 employees. Services range from pediatrics to contract services and specialists in interoperative monitoring for spine and head and neck injuries. The company provides PT, OT, and speech services for patients from zero to 99. HPRC also has a prosthetic and orthotic facility with ABC certified ONP clinicians. He is a past APTA Federal Affairs Government Chair, a PPS Board of Director including Vice President, and a past and current delegate to the APTA House of Delegates from the state of Georgia. He was also awarded the 2014 Robert G. Dicus Service Award from the private practice section. So welcome, Patrick. Great to have you here. Thanks for having me. So you've had a really very interesting career. Um, share with us, uh, you know, what the company was like 20 years ago. Okay. And I, we know that it was started by uh, um, your father-in-law, George McCluskey, uh, 64 years ago. So it's probably one of the original private practices, I would think. And uh, so, so tell us what, what you know where it grew to, and then and then where it is now, and there's a lot in between. So we don't have to go into great detail, but sure. what I'm interested in is there were some uh, <coughs> interesting struggles in between. Yeah, so we've been a lot larger through the years, um, and we've been a little smaller. We've kind of been growing back in the late '90s, um, actually right after 9/11. Um, the orthopedic clinic that we were a large part of and had probably six affiliated clinics. They never owned us, but we were in locations with them, decided they wanted to own their own physical therapy. So we parted ways. We lost a hospital contract, was affiliated with those physicians. In about a six month time period, we lost about 60% of our business. We went from about 300 employees down to about 100. And we gradually were able to kind of claw our way back. Um, we've grown it up and um, we're, we're still hanging on. <laughs> yeah. So currently now you have, as I said in the intro, you have 11 locations in three different states. We do. Okay. And so during that time, when you, you know, what did you learn from the struggles when you lost, you know, as you said, 60% of your business? I mean, I, I can only imagine how traumatic that was, but, but did you learn anything from that? What, what can you share with us? You know, we really learned what quality team members were. I mean, the people that stuck with us through the thick and thin, most of those people are still with us today. 20 years later and um, you know it's easy to say you have high morals but when you're really put to the test yeah. 
Do the, are you willing to take the stand in those? And a perfect example is, I was called to testify in South Carolina for the whole battle with POPs. Right. And we were, we provided services for a large orthopedic group there. Again, they didn't own us. We, um, the original partner had been a fellow at the Houston Clinic in mm -hmm. Columbus. And we had three locations and probably 70 employees there. The head of their, their clinic was also the president of the medical association. And he had promised that he would get the POPs law overturned. Well, by me going and testifying what had happened to us in Georgia as a result of that, they kicked us out. And again, we lost, oh, that was part of what we lost. But again, to stay true to ourselves, we took that and we've continued to stay in Columbia, South Carolina. Really? So yeah. you, you're still, you're still We're there? still there. That's great. So do you regret testifying in front of the... Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a lot of business go away. I mean, do you, do you look back on it now and do you think it was... Uh, I'm sure you felt it was the right thing to do at the time. I, yes. I, um, I don't think I regret it. Um, because at the time it was is what we stood for. It's what my father-in-law had stood for for 60 plus years. Dr. Jack Houston, who started the Houston Clinic, who even got my father-in-law into physical therapy, didn't feel it was ethical for him to ever own anything he could make money off of besides just direct patient care. So I think at that time it was. If you were to ask me today, I think it's we're in interesting times. And I think where we're headed, we're going to have to have some unique alliances that we've not had in the past. And I think the relationships with physicians is an area that we really need to examine because the big players where they're headed, I think, is hospitals or these big medical practices. Yeah. So it's not, it's not a black and white issue. I don't believe it is. Not anymore. Obviously, you want to, if you're going to work, uh, you're going to want to contract with certain things that are important to the care of the patients and control issues and whatever. But to just say, you know, we're not going to work with physicians just isn't the way to go. I, I, I think with times like they are, it's really difficult to just say black and white standard issues. I'm not promoting that for any stretch of the imagination. I think we bring a unique set of skills to the table. I think we can be partners. I don't think we have to be employees, yeah. but I think we have to start looking at other ways that we can have a seat at the table. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree totally. Another thing that uh, people that know you and in, uh, in this profession and whatever is that uh, you're very active and, and always at meetings and always volunteering, doing some things, and, uh, and then you had an illness that uh, just about took you out. So. Uh, um, for those who maybe don't know the story, you had a liver transplant. I did. And how long ago was that? Three years January. Three years in January. So, uh, and as I've known you for a long time, you were an extremely sick man at that time and uh, <laughs> uh, barely pulled through. But uh, how are you feeling today? I mean, I, I really feel better today than I have in 15 years. Yeah. Yeah, I really, the, those 15 years were tough with the two autoimmune diseases. And uh, I didn't realize how bad I felt until I got a new liver and they were gone. And I, I feel great. Yeah. So it's just, it's interesting to me. How do you, uh, if, if it's okay to go sure. here. 
Please. How do you how do you look at life now compared to before? Is it, are you different? Oh, very much, very much. I always was very strong in my faith. Um, I know for a fact that's what pulled me through it, um, my family through it, and frankly, all the prayers around the world. Um, what's different about me is when I wake up, that my very first thought is, thank you, Lord, I'm here. It's another day yeah. that I get to be here because I wasn't, I shouldn't have been here. By, by all medical reasoning, I shouldn't have been here. I think things that used to be big issues, if I take, as our speaker said this morning, count to five backwards, um, I can take a deep breath and really realize they're not as big as they used to be. Uh, my perspective is, um, it's, it's, I guess it's broader. It's not just about me and my little world. It's the opportunities that are around me every day to touch patients, touch our fellow employees, touch total strangers with just being kind, being thankful, being grateful, and hopefully being positive. Yeah, yeah. No, those are those are great lessons, and uh, you know, hopefully, some of us can learn that without having to go through what you did, right? The, yeah, the other know. thing I'm intrigued with is. Um, you know, and again, these these are personal questions, so I hope they're okay. But no, it's sure. like, gosh, I I think of your two daughters, and and are 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 they are they over being scared all the time? Um, no, uh, you can hear my voice. I got a little scratchy. Um, you know, when I go into a coffin fit, they're on me. Um, they, you know, they're still they're still cautious. Um, yeah. It's they're much better. Um, obviously, but for what they witnessed me going through, um, I'm not sure that they, they have a whole different perspective too. Um, and I think it's been positive. Again, the, what for a lot of 21 and 23 year olds is a big deal is not such a big deal to them anymore. Um, they got a bigger, a bigger view of things. Um, yeah, and I imagine you probably really experienced uh, uh, a lot of people in your life, you know, through uh, through family, through church, through you know people that know you in the community that uh, that really rallied around it. It's um, it's very humbling. Um, still is. Um, you know, I continue to see people that I haven't seen in years um, that just come up and and are you can see they're just genuinely excited to see me. It's very humbling, very humbling. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, the thing I've always appreciated is that going through that thing, you always had a sense of humor about it. I mean, oh my gosh, we, we got so many stories, but <laughs> the one I remember the most, you know what I'm gonna say, is when uh, we were going to the Graham Sessions one year, and so we picked you up in Columbus, and we drove from Columbus, Georgia to Charleston, and uh, Patrick was taking this medication that um, made him want to urinate all the time. And we had to stop like every 20, was it 30 miles? Five hour trip was about a nine hour oh, trip. Oh my gosh. But uh, we had to counsel him because a lot of times he'd come out of the, after going to the bathroom in the gas station with this big old, you know, drink, like 30 ounce drink. And we go, Patrick. You know, think about what you're doing there. You know, so we always tease made him. Made really that, uh, thirsty. Yeah, it made him <laughs> thirsty, but uh, we paid the price. It was the longest yes, trip ever. It was a long trip. Yeah, but it was it was fun. Y'all were good sports.
Yeah. So, uh, you, you know, when you, when you think about things like, I know it's very dear to your heart now, this, this donor um, organizations that, that, that do this. I mean, you're here today because someone else uh, died yeah. and, and provided, a, provided an organ. So um, uh, just tell us a little bit about what you've learned about that world and, and, and what sure. we need to know about it. Well, you know, a lot of people think they're organ donors because they mark it on their driver's license, yeah. which is always a great start. The best thing for people to do is really to go to the organdonor.org um, website and register as an organ donor because what happens then is that's the database that anyone accesses right away. It leaves, it takes your family out of the emotion of the decisions of the time and frankly that's, that's the most effective way for people to do it. So. You know, everyone always has this idea, well, I don't want to sign up because what if I'm just in a coma? You know, and, and the truth of the matter is, you know, up to seven lives can be saved with one life. And um, there's all kinds of things that people donate now. Um, and it's not, it's not people who are just in a coma, you know. There's a lot of vetting that goes on before that decision is made. Um, but the amount of education that's still opportunity to be out there is, is still something I'm really passionate about. And, um, you know, as healthcare providers, it just goes hand in hand with what we do. Um, you know, just educating people on what, what they can do when they're gone and how many lives they can change. It is. It is. The, the stories, you know, the stories you can see anywhere are just incredible. Incredible. So, have you ever, have you ever wanted to meet the donor family? I have. Um, we've, so the process is you have to wait six months and then you can submit letters to the organization. And I had my transplant at Emory, so it's run by the chaplains. And they preview the letters to make sure they're appropriate. And then they contact the donor family and see if they want to receive those letters. And if they do, then they send them. All we know is they've received our letters. Mm -hmm. We write, um, obviously on the anniversary, we write, you know, we've written on my wedding anniversary, we've written on my birthdays, um, the, my daughter's graduations. Um, but we've never heard back from the family. Um, it would be, it would be very humbling and emotional. Yeah, I can only imagine. Yeah, I'm. I'm uh, does it surprise you uh, being on the other end of it that they don't want to meet you, or, or I shouldn't say that because we don't know that, but they haven't reached out yet. Yes and no, um, because I've had the opportunity to meet families who have been, um, who their loved ones have been donors and how much they have enjoyed getting to know the recipients. But they've also been able to just share that it's okay, that it's just yeah. some people take longer with that loss, but they just encourage us to not quit, to continue to communicate to them. They may not ever reach out, but we want them to know how grateful we are. Yeah, that's awesome. Does it feel weird? Um, I've got a little numbness in the uh, in the incision. Yeah. 
Um, but no, otherwise it's... Um, Doesn't feel like there's a football in there or something? No, and you know, it was, it was such a miracle because we know that my donor came from a hospital in Atlanta three miles away. Uh, you know, I was number one on the list from North Carolina to Puerto Rico. And, you know, obviously when an organ is transplanted, the longer it's out of the body, the more it can degenerate. Right. Well, the fact that mine was what they basically said was such a perfect match, and it came from a hospital that was five miles away, yeah. was just, I mean, it was just a true miracle. That's where your faith comes in. Yeah, it was just, I mean, it was totally a gift from the Lord. And I've been very blessed. I, I take two anti-rejection medicines twice a day. But other than that, I'm on no other medicine, no precautions. I go every six months for some blood work. But yeah, you you probably heard in the news just in this last week. Uh, um, what's her first name? Is it Selena Gomez, the, yeah, the singer? Yeah, yeah. And and that her donor was her best friend who lived with her. Yeah. The odds of that are just like unbelievable. Right. So it's it's yeah. it's, no, it's, it's pretty uh, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. When you when you understand about it and you start looking around. It's amazing how far organ donation has come in the last 20 years and how many people that are probably one step away from you that you would know that have been a part of that. And do you have any idea what the population of this nation are organ donors or, uh, you know, claim that they're, you know? You know, I knew that stat about two years ago, but I don't. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I'm just curious. Okay. So... What um, what do you enjoy most about doing now that you couldn't do five or six or seven years ago? Um, well, I've actually started getting back a little bit into patient care cool. um, two days a week, and that has just been fantastic. You didn't forget everything? No, amazingly, I didn't. <laughs> you know, to kind of remember why we got into this profession yeah. and to be able to hang out with our staff and get to know them on a personal and professional level um, has been great. Um, it's just been, you know, the thing that my father-in-law did was there was never a job that was not, he wasn't too important to perform that right, job. Right, no job too low for No, me. none. You know, whether it was polishing the old um, hydrocolator, you know, <laughs> packs and units uh, with the oil you remember the stainless steel to shine those to change in pillowcases I was raised that way by my parents and by him and the chance to get back into the clinic and really be able to do that you know wipe off my own table change my own pillowcase you know whatever it takes um, is just that's the way he led, and that's the way I like to lead. So how long were you out of patient care when, when we went back in? I think it had been 10 years. 10 years, mm -hmm. yeah. Is anything different in that experience? Yeah. yeah. The EMRs are horrible. <laughs> uh, you don't have any paper charts to... No, you know, the old day of the old soap note, uh, it was, um, yeah, that's probably the worst part. Yeah, but the people are the same? Yeah, yeah, it's... Um, Patients are just so appreciative, you know, of, of good care and being able for you to 
help them not only understand, but help them feel better. And uh, remarkably, I got a whole slew of spine patients that I was able to help. They felt better. So that's always good for the ego when, you know, you start back and you're able to help people. Um, But, um, yeah, no, that's probably to feel well enough to be able to get up and go do that. um, That's been a big part. Yeah, yeah, you know, I've always often wondered, you know, I've been lucky I have not had, you know, serious illness, but um, seeing you and seeing others of, of that feeling of that just severe tiredness or exhaustion that you can't hardly move has just got to be something that's... Well, you know, when going through all the chemotherapy and all that, um, when you're on the backside of it, you can realize how how bad you felt and how exhausted you were but and that's that's just part of what just makes me so thankful now is i can get up at five in the morning and go and get home at seven and make it a whole day and feel great yeah yeah so what now that you're better you're feeling better um things seem to be going great for you what's what's your biggest challenge today Healthcare. (laughs) Yeah, Um, you know, I think um, being able to compete, being able to, because we've been around so long, we really have at least three generations, probably getting close to four um, that work with us and being able to meet the needs of, of those people to help them be able to fulfill their goals and stay viable as a company, stay true to what has enabled us to stick around for 64 years. Um, I think that's the big challenge. Reimbursement is a big part of that. Um, Who are you going to be aligned with? Um, Are you going to keep standing alone? Is it time to partner? You know, those are the those are the things I think drive me right now. Yeah, yeah. No easy answer there. No. Yeah, yeah. You know, another story that, that I'd like to share, if you're okay going there, is um, I love the story that, uh, so you had your liver transplant surgeon. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those who don't know, a lot of people that specialize in that, they're, they're replacing uh, livers that have been damaged due to often the patient's miscare, um, not taking care of themselves from, right. from drinking, from addiction problems from, you know, whatever, and, uh, and, and you were different. And um, are you okay to tell a story about when you went back to Emory? Yeah, I could try. Yeah. <laughs> you just wanted to get me to cry. No, you? I don't want to get you to cry. It's just, uh, I think it's a great yeah, story. Yeah, no, this is, um, yeah, so I had uh, encephalopathy pretty significantly uh, before, and I really have no memory other than one or two events for the two months leading up to my surgery and after I came out of surgery they extubated me and I had a massive seizure and was unconscious so they reintubated me and I was they were perplexed they said this was highly unusual they had no idea if I was going to be a vegetable what was going on and six weeks later I came out my memory started coming back but I've got about a five, six month gap in there. Well, I was in the hospital for 72 days, moved to rehab, but the nurses and the doctors in the hospital and on the 
post-surgical floor never saw me out of the bed. So the day we went back, I guess this was probably three months. Um, first of all, they couldn't believe how tall I was. <laughs> <laughs> and um, when I turned the corner, um, my, the surgeon who was closest to my wife, mm -hmm. who really was her saving grace, yeah. he, he was a fellow and I was his last case before he became full-time staff on, on there. And um, Dr. Bedell was his name. Mm -hmm. And he sat with Susan and my family and would just explain everything. Mm -hmm. And he was there for her. Well, I wanted to get to see him and he turned the corner and saw me and he literally went to his knees and just was blown away. Yeah. And it was emotional that yeah. what I had what I had been able to achieve um, because of part yeah. that he played and how, how much our faith had played into getting me to where I was. And then if I can jump in, his sure. quote was, uh, you're why I became a, a surgeon. Correct. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So Patrick, you've uh, been in a leadership role for a long time. So if I were to ask you, what is your leadership style? How would you describe it? I am uh, a doer. I try to lead by example. Um, you know, I referenced my father-in-law. I've always tried to lead by example. Um, have people watch how I treat other people. Um, I want to treat people how I want to be treated. Um, if someone's going to make a sacrifice, I want it to be me first so that other people want to buy in to be a part of that. As we end down here, um, we often end with a pearl of wisdom. So in reference to leadership, what would your pearl of wisdom be for our listeners? Never forget where you came from. Always remember what you had to do to get there and who helped you get to those places. Don't ever be so important that you can't do the little tasks that made your company, made you successful. Because that's staying in touch with that, I think, is what makes great leaders continue to be great leaders. Yeah, it's great advice, great advice. Thank you for sharing that. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's Appreciate great it. talking to you. Thank you. So uh, this has been another episode of uh, Profiles in Leadership. Um, thank you to VGM Advantage for sponsoring this. Uh, be sure and go to VGM Advantage website and also Orange Dot Coaching website to see the whole gallery of video and podcast interviews. And um, uh, Patrick, you really inspire all of us. And I uh, just want to uh, thank you for sharing your story. I know it's never easy, no. but it's good to hear. So thank, thank you. you so much. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you.